Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is uh, Friday, and it is November the 3rd, 2017. Um, and once again, uh, this past week, terror came to the United States, and terror came to my hometown of New York City. Uh, the world is a crazy, dangerous place, and one of our biggest challenges are the people that we have elected to govern to protect us, to enforce our laws, to administer our laws, um, and to look out for the best interests of America and Americans. And all too many are not doing a particularly good job uh, in, in point of fact. Uh, you know, if you look at the 9-11 Commission report and findings, you will realize that sanctuary cities and failures by prior administrations, failures of law enforcement on the local level at the behest of political figures against sanctuary cities are violating common sense, violating the law finding and the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. That is going to be my primary focus today. So, uh, but before we get started, I want to uh, welcome you to my program. Always good to join you at the end of the week. There is much to talk about, much to catch up on. If you're familiar with me, then you know the story. I'm a retired senior special agent with the former Immigration and Naturalization Service. I've spent 30 years with that agency, half of my time with the Drug Task Force. I have investigated and arrested terrorists, fugitives, people from all over the world who came to the United States with less than honorable intentions. Um, and so it's important to start out by saying that to take a position of demanding that our borders be made secure, not against everyone, but against illegal entry. And this isn't about being quote unquote undocumented. And as we will uh, see today, we're gonna to talk a little bit about George Orwell and this idea about Newspeak, but it's about keeping out people, not based on race, religion, or ethnicity, another one of the big fat lies, and I'm tired of the lies and we're gonna explode them this evening, but to keep out aliens who pose a threat to our safety, our health, our well-being. Uh, and our economic future as Americans, the American dream for Americans. What a quaint idea, as I said when I was on the Dana show uh, last week. And if you go to Blog Talk and if you go to my website, you can see the links uh, to a, uh, an interview that I did with Dana Loesch at Blaze. And I think she's fabulous, did it last week. They posted it today. Uh, and then yesterday I was on with my good friend Bill Tucker I know Bill going back to the days when he was with Lou Dobbs tonight over at CNN. We've known each other, it seems like, forever. So uh, please check that out at my website, michaelcutler.net. Um, also, I want to make note so that uh, I'd, I'd like for you, when the program is over, that you go to my website to read my articles or go to frontpagemag.com, Front Page Magazine. I also write for the social contract. Uh, by the way, the fall edition of the social contract fall 2017 edition just came out uh, a day or two ago and one of my articles is published in this quarterly journal i've been writing for them for over a decade and the title of my article 
this time around is the language was the road to tyranny is paved with language censorship. Um, and the subtitle of it, if I can find it, here we are. The subtitle, the elimination of words leads to the elimination of thoughts, which leads to the elimination of freedom. So uh, it's an eight page article. I spent quite a bit of time thinking about it, writing about it. I hope you find it thought-provoking. That's what this program is about. Uh, You know, we've gotten to a point in America where Americans have forgotten how to ask questions. We've become truly a nation of sheep, people who are willing to be led by anybody and believe anything that we hear. That is dangerous. That is also another pathway to tyranny. Accountability is created when we challenge and question those with whom we entrust authority. Anybody who is an authority needs to be held in check. And I don't care who it is. And you do it by law. You do it by questioning. You do it by taking citizenship seriously. And so that's what my program really focuses on. As you know, it's important that we educate ourselves as best we can. And that's why the educational system is important. That's why journalism is so darn important. Uh, And of course, we are inundated by fake news. Donald Trump started using that term quite liberally. And I got to tell you, he's right. When I read the news reports, when I watch the evening news on television, um, my head starts spinning like a top. And, And why is that? Because it's not news anymore. It's propaganda, it's entertainment, it's foolishness. Um, Please understand that when there is a rebellion in a country and the rebels take over a government, the first thing they seize are the means of communication, television stations, radio stations, and the newspapers. The control of information is critical to dictatorships. If they can control the information, then they can control the population. And that's what we're witnessing now, except it's not only the politicians that are seeking to control information to their benefit, but more and more it's the corporations who buy the politicians. This government of ours has been bought and paid for, which is why I think Donald Trump scares the hell out of the swamp, because he doesn't need their money. And when they have a guy in the White House who doesn't need the money of the United States Chamber of Commerce and a laundry list of other bribers on both sides of the issue, on every issue, the lobbyists. And we're starting to see this, folks. Pay attention. Pay attention to what has been going on with lobbying. And I have to tell you, I've been watching um, Tucker Carlson, that he's been going after this issue, and Tucker is right. He is right for going after the lobbyists and the fact that members of Congress don't have to report meetings they have with lobbyists. This is insanity. When you have foreign governments influencing our political leaders, I guarantee you it's not going to be something that's going to be in our best interest. Corporations are giving huge amounts amounts of money to political campaigns. One of the worst uh, court decisions was Citizens United. And I know some people may disagree, and that's fine. We're Americans. We're entitled to disagree. But to conflate campaign contributions with freedom of speech and i'm exercising my freedom of speech because i have lots of money and i can give that money to a politician if that isn't corruption that i want someone to define corruption for me 
As a federal agent, I was not allowed to accept a cup of coffee when I was on duty. And if you think a cup of coffee is going to influence a law enforcement officer, what happens when we're dealing with huge checks? I mean, it's, it's utter stupidity on Americans' parts if you don't think that this is what has corrupted the system in ways that I never would have imagined possible. And so we had a terrorist attack that was carried out in New York <clears throat> by an Uzbeki national who came here in 2010 on a so-called diversity visa. Why do we even have diversity visas? You see, every time a law is passed, our Congress, if they really were representing the American people, would first ask, is this in the best interests of America and Americans? That's really the question that should be asked, but it's not. But it is not. And let me give you an example of, of how this plays out. When I was an immigration agent, we had a commissioner by the name of Doris Meisner. Doris Meisner, and I made this point at several congressional hearings, and I believe I made this point quite clearly the last time I went before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Doris Meisner was of the belief that the old Immigration and Naturalization Service was supposed to be customer-oriented. <clears throat> well, I agree. But where I disagreed with Doris Meisner was who the customer is. The commissioner of the Immigration and Naturalization Service under the Clinton administration actually sincerely believed that the customers of the Immigration Service were aliens, particularly illegal aliens. Now, I have this crazy, screwed-up notion, and you tell me how you feel, folks, but I always thought that the customers of the government of the United States were the citizens of the United States. So immediately when you have a mindset in the political party that the customers of the immigration service are the aliens and not the citizens, everything goes off the rails. The idea for bringing an alien to the United States on a petition because of a family relationship is to benefit not the alien but the citizen. But then along comes a law called VAWA, the Violence Against Women's Act. It sounds all fuzzy and all wonderful. But what it says is that if an alien claims to have been abused by his or her spouse, and usually uh, they see it as purely the, the woman is always the victim, the men never are, and, and that's not true either. It happens both ways. But if a female alien, for argument's sake, claims that her husband beat her, and she doesn't want to be with him anymore, well, in the old days, we'd say, well, we're sorry it's not working out. Go get yourself a plane ticket and, and go back to your home country. But Congress, primarily on the Democrat side, and full disclosure, I'm registered as a Democrat. I'm not being left or right. I'm just looking at who did what and how it's damaging us. They enacted legislation, the Violence Against Women's Act. So all that the alien has to do is claim to have been abused by the American or lawful immigrant spouse, and they then may self-petition for a green card. So if you have an American who wakes up one morning and says, gee whiz, my wife really doesn't want to live with me. She married me for a green card, and I'm going to dump her because I don't need this foolishness. And I know of a case that way. I, I helped the attorney because his client, a Vietnam War vet, went through hell because he got arrested by the local sheriff's down in Florida. His wife was clearly not desiring to live with him. She was using him. And they weren't youngsters. They were in their 50s. 
and everything was great until they got married, until they filed the initial paperwork, and suddenly she was coming home at 3 in the morning, coming home drunk, not wanting to stay with him at night, not wanting to have dinner with him, not wanting to cook his meals or wash his clothing, not wanting to do anything with him that you would expect a husband and wife would do. And he realized that he was being played for a fool, and he said, look, you're cheating on me. I know what's going on. You're out of here. As soon as he said that he was going to withdraw the petition, which is his right, that was going to give her a green card, within a couple of days, she filed a complaint with the police that her husband had attacked her, and she showed a scratch mark or a cut mark on her arm, and she had long fingernails. God knows if she did it with a fingernails, a nail file, a scissor, but she put a little slit on her arm and said, my husband did this to me. And lo and behold, this poor guy had a carry permit in Florida, had a gun locked up in a safe, never brandished it, never threatened her, never did anything wrong. Uh, and, I, and I'll tell you that this has been confirmed. But as soon as she filed the complaint, the police came and arrested him, took him out of bed in his pajamas, threw him in the back of a police car, put him in jail. And he was facing a 20-year felony because he had that gun in the house. And the lawyer who was representing him said, look, this guy doesn't have a lot of money. He's scared to death that he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail. He's in his late 50s. He's looking at 20 years in jail. He's done. And he did nothing wrong. He was stupid enough to marry this woman. I said, well, does she have any family members who maybe have done the same thing? And has she self-petitioned? Well, the lawyer came back to me within the week and said, you know, she has a sister who just pulled the same stunt on some other American veteran. And they both self-petitioned. I said, okay, here's the deal. Tell the prosecutor that I'm willing to come down to Florida to testify on the behalf of those two um, damaged Americans, the, the um, falsely accused Americans, because it smelled of a fraud scheme. And guess what? As soon as the prosecutor mentioned that to the two wives, so-called, and they were Russians, they immediately said, you know what? Let's forget the whole thing. We will withdraw our criminal complaints and we'll go back to Russia because they realized that they could have been charged with committing felonies on the federal and state level, attempting to defraud the immigration system and filing false police reports. So they could have been looking at substantial time and then deportation. So once they realized the game was over, they withdrew their criminal complaints, hopped on airplanes hopefully never to come back to America again. We are better because they are gone. But how in the world do we pass laws that enable this foolishness to play out that creates nightmares for I can't tell you how many American citizens? But this is because the immigration system is now preoccupied with the alien. And that's what we saw happen in that terror attack. A diversity lottery? Listen, Lottery is a game of chance. You spin the wheel, and where the, where the, 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 uh, the arrow lands, that's it. That's not the way you admit people into a country. Is America not already diverse enough? The Center for Immigration Studies did a study, and if I remember the number correctly, I don't have it in front of me, but something on the order of one in five American families no longer speak English in their home. One in five. One in five. That's not diverse enough. How many people are sharing the roads with us who are duly licensed but can't read road signs because we give the learning permit exam in multiple languages, 
but those languages aren't up on the street signs or the warning signs on the highways. You know, you've seen the sign, accident ahead, oil spill ahead. So the idea is you're supposed to start slowing down. I wonder how many people go flying into ice or an oil slick at 65 miles an hour because they couldn't read the sign that said that the road was slippery ahead. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing it? We're doing it for the same reason that if you saw the other article that I wrote for Front Page Magazine about the heroin epidemic, in the last two decades, according to CBS News and and the Washington Post, more than 200,000 people have died of drug overdoses in the United States. And now finally they woke up to the opioid epidemic, but they're still skittish about talking about heroin. Why? Because we don't produce heroin in the United States. So every gram of heroin was to the country. What does that tell you about border security? There is none. Along comes President Trump and says we got to secure the borders, and he's now been accused of being a bigot, a racist, a xenophobe, you name it. They're vilifying him like there's no tomorrow. There's an interesting movie starring Robin Williams, and I'm not a big movie fan, but if you get a chance to see it, you should. <clears throat> the late Robin Williams played the part of a talk show host by the name of Tom Dobbs. And because of a computer glitch, when he runs for president as a goof, he did it as a stunt. The computer, and not too hard to believe, again, with everything going on today, not too hard to doubt, actually, with all the talk about um, computer hacking and so forth. Uh, it's amazing. We had to go to computers and not do it the simple old-fashioned way with paper. But then, of course, you wind up with hanging chads and all kinds of other foolishness. Uh, we've become, we're rapidly becoming a third-world country. But the reason I'm mentioning the Robin Williams film was that his advisor said to him, you're running against the president of the United States. Why don't you accuse him of having sex with farm animals? Robin Williams' character, whose name was Tom Dobbs, I wonder if they thought he was supposed to be related to Lou Dobbs, perhaps. Tom Dobbs, and he said, well, how do I prove that? And his advisor said, no, 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 no. This is the beauty of it, because Lyndon Johnson used to joke about doing this. If you accuse someone of having sex with farm animals, you don't have to prove anything. That candidate that you've accused will spend the rest of the campaign trying to prove he didn't do it. It's about putting people on the defensive when they've done nothing wrong. How often do we see these smear campaigns in the political world? How often do we see this madness? Uh, Years ago, I was approached by several people asking me if I had an interest in running for Congress. And I thought about it for a few days. And then I wondered why in the world would I subject myself, but more importantly, my family to that circus? There is no dignity to American politics. There is no fairness. There is no rational conduct here. It is a circus. It is despicable. It is disgusting. And if you wonder why, so many village idiots run for political office, it's because not too many decent people are willing to subject themselves and their families to the craziness. Now, there are some good people. My good friend Lou Barletta from Pennsylvania, now running for the Senate. I hope he wins. Jeff Sessions was a wonderful senator. Chuck Grassley, good senator. We we can handpick a few that are decent. But so many of those people who achieve elected office couldn't hold down a real job in the real world if their lives depended on it. We wind up with people who run for office because they're incapable of doing anything else. That's insanity. 
That's not the way that a country is going to be successfully led. And we see it all the time. And you see the campaign contributions pouring in. And you say to yourself, we have a diversity visa. Do we need this? Do we really need this? And there was a member of Congress who pointed out that several years ago there was a shooting at the LL counter uh, at Los Angeles International Airport, LAX. Again, the perpetrator, somebody who came here on a diversity visa. Why in the world are we admitting 50,000 people a year from countries that are in the third world where it's difficult to vet them? It's not just the countries that President Trump is concerned about. We're having a hell of a time vetting people. And if you look at the State Department list of countries on the diversity visa program, so many are from sub-Sahara Africa. Uh, We know that Africa has a problem with ISIS, with Boko Haram, that terror group that kidnapped all those girls. This is where we're, we're, we're dipping the ladle in and saying, come to America. Why? Why are we so determined to bring people here who can't be vetted? It's not about race. It's not about religion. But if you can't vet people, I don't care what country they're from. That's dangerous. We keep expanding the visa waiver program. Why? Because the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and their friends in the hotel and travel and hospitality industries are adamant. Take down the visas. Less visas mean more people will travel. We'll be able to put more people in more hotels and more people in seats on the Broadway show and the ballparks and the restaurant. Money. All we want is money. Meanwhile, this headlong dash to open the borders and flood America with cheap labor is destroying the wage structure for American workers. We're losing hundreds of billions of dollars a year in remittances, money being wired out of the country, lost to our economy. We're bringing in terrorists. We're bringing in criminals in the name of free trade. Not so free. Not so free. And immediately, as soon as this attack took place, New York's mayor, New York's governor said, there's nothing to see here, folks. He's a lone wolf. Come to New York. Enjoy the parade. Well, thank God nothing happened. But nobody was certain, I can assure you. I can assure you, one or two hours after a terror attack, nobody knows anything about anything. And then it turned out in the next day or two, it was determined that, in fact, this piece of trash had been questioned by the FBI two years ago because he may have been, excuse me, the point of contact for a number of people from terror-sponsoring countries. So I went on um, Newsmax with Bill Tucker and I, and I made the point that this guy, I thought, could very easily be part of a terror cell. Could have been a sleeper. Why don't we hear the term sleeper anymore? Now, we don't call them sleepers. We call them homegrown. Oh, he's been here for years. Well, that's how sleepers operate. They go to a foreign country with the understanding that two, three, four, five years from now, somebody might tap them on the shoulder, send them an email, or otherwise communicate with them and call them into action. The 9-11 hijackers didn't land in the United States on September 10th. Some of them were here for more than a year. And we've seen terror attacks take place where the guy has been here for several years. So instead of calling them sleepers, we now call them homegrown. Why are we using the term homegrown? To take immigration out of the equation. That's why. Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, set off that SUV car bomb in 2010 in Times Square, crossroads of the world, one of the busiest intersections on the entire planet. If you've ever been to Times Square during the day, you can't move. You're shoulder to shoulder. It's like being on a subway car during the rush hour. 
wall-to-wall people, and this piece of trash, Faisal Shazad, sets off a car bomb. The New York City police commissioner back then, Ray Kelly, described him as a classic example of a homegrown terrorist. And Ray Kelly had to know better. He was the customs commissioner before he was the New York City police commissioner. He was in the United States Marine Corps. I met Ray Kelly. He's a smart guy. So why did he call him homegrown? Faisal Shahzad came here at the age of 20 on a student visa from Pakistan, became a naturalized citizen, and now we're going to describe him as homegrown. Why? Because it takes immigration out of the equation. And if you dare suggest that immigration has anything to do with it, you are castigated. You're accused of everything under the sun. Why? How can you protect yourself or your country if you're not willing to deal with the truth? If you're not willing to deal with objective facts? You know, when I used to interrogate people as an agent, people would lie like you wouldn't believe. And if they weren't going to lie to begin with, as soon as they saw your badge and credentials, they certainly began to lie. And I used to like to say to people before I began one of those interviews or interrogations, never forget that there is only one version of the truth. So let's get to it. Let's waste. Let's not waste time. There's one version of the truth, but not for politicians and apparently not for the evening news on many programs. It's one story after another story. I want you to think about something. New York City is now erecting concrete barriers. And I, I knew this was going to happen to block off the bike path so that cars can't charge into the bike path and kill anybody in the future, as though that's the only place where it's going to happen. They used airliners, so we spent billions of dollars on on airports. Terrorists are limited only by their creativity. We are limited by the stupidity and corruption of our politicians. You see, there's a difference here. Remember, they used to say we have to be right 100% of the time. Terrorists only got to get it right once. They don't say that anymore. Because then people would say, gee, that sounds dangerous. So maybe they won't get on airplanes. And then companies lose money. And then everybody gets upset. So the, the, the debate has now shifted. And there are phrases that you don't use. Don't use the word alien. Never mind that it simply means any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. But let's not use the word alien. So people will think that anyone who comes here from another country is an immigrant. That if anybody says you should limit who comes here, by definition, you're anti-immigrant. By the way... The DREAM Act, the DREAMers, we keep hearing the DREAMers, it's an acronym. And the A in DREAMers is alien, alien minors. Look it up, you'll see, alien minors. So why is the word alien suddenly acceptable? Because it helps the narrative. This is the American dream. Of course, Americans should no longer apply because we don't like Americans. We would rather bring people to America with no qualifications than have to deal with Americans who might want to get a job. This is about driving down wages. Alan Greenspan was very clear about it when he testified for Chuck Schumer on April 30th, 2009, referred to high-tech American workers as the privileged elite earning a wage premium. And he said the solution is to do exactly what Bill Gates wants. Bill Gates, the guy who's pumped billions of dollars into his lobbying efforts, and what, what, what did he want? Flood America with H-1B visas. We don't have enough programmers. Well, if you stop and read the newspapers and you see how every month they were firing Americans and replacing them with foreign workers, predominantly from India, why are you firing Americans and then have the chutzpah to turn around and say, well, we don't have enough Americans to do the work? You just fired your American workers, hundreds of thousands of highly skilled, highly educated, highly experienced, and highly loyal employees. 
screwed over. And then these bums have the chutzpah to go to Congress and say, oh, we need foreign workers. We can't find any here. How about the ones you just fired? Oh, we can't talk about that. This is the level of betrayal that we're dealing with. This is the level of corruption that we're dealing with. We're turning America into a third world banana republic at the behest of the United States Chamber of Commerce, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, and a laundry list of companies that are far more fixated with head counts on airliners than body counts in the morgue. And that's how we got to this point. That's how we got to this point. I work with the Speakers Bureau in Washington, D.C. They do seminars for the military and the intelligence services. And, and, and what's so remarkable to me, and I, I was in front of a, a room filled with Air Force colonels and generals just two weeks ago in D.C. Uh, at the Capitol Hill Club. Beautiful venue. It's a Republican uh, bastion, if you will, uh, a block or two away from some of the House office buildings where I've testified at congressional hearings. And I said to this room filled with America's leaders, I said, you know, I'm so proud of our military, our ability, our gallantry, the commitment and, and bravery of our soldiers and of, of the leadership. And I said, I'm particularly proud that we as a country spend a lot of money on smart weapons. And primarily, one of the key reasons for the smart weapons is to minimize civilian casualties. Uh, in the military, the euphemism is collateral damage. So, you know, you see these images of a cruise missile that's fired hundreds of miles away, sailing through the third floor window, second from the left in a factory, and it splits the factory in half, almost like a scalpel being taken to a patient. And why do they do that? So that the people on the other side of the building don't get killed. Unbelievable. It's expensive, but it's brilliant, and it's moral, and it's decent, and it should make every American proud. And it's also good because if you have civilian casualties, that becomes a recruitment tool for terrorism also. Let's be completely transparent about what we're discussing. But first and foremost, it's a matter of morality so that we don't kill non-combatants. Could it be any more moral decent than that until we come to America? When Americans die, collateral damage stuff happens, right? We're fixated. Make sure no women and children get killed in the war zone. But we've turned American cities, ladies and gentlemen, into war zones. Look at the carnage in Chicago, fueled by drugs, fueled by gangs. Well, maybe they don't want you to look at Chicago. But boy, they have great gun laws. It's helping, isn't it? Madness. Madness. So now they're erecting these barricades for people on bikes. And the bike riders are saying, wait a minute. If you crash a bike and you get hurt, you can't even get to the bike rider to put the person into an ambulance because accidents happen with bicycles. People do get hurt. How are we supposed to deal with these barriers? We can't just get onto the bike path. We've got to go a significant distance, and then we get to the bike path. All this inconvenience, and we're doing it. Why? To make sure that some guy in a truck doesn't mow down bike riders. Now, this is almost like a stupid joke, okay? So a guy with a truck looks at that and says, well, what the heck? I'll just barrel through midtown Manhattan. Why bother looking for people on bicycles? But this is the foolishness of our politicians. It's about creating this image. Oh, look at that. We've put up barriers. We're safe now. You're safe now? So all you have to do is drive one block 
away from there and, and, and look for pedestrians and mow them down. But this is the smoke and mirrors of politicians. But you see, when President Trump says, well, wait a moment, let's see in America's borders a barrier, because they are. Let's be careful so that we don't admit terrorists in the first place. Out come the long knives and the big mouths, and they're on TV. The president is a xenophobe. The president is a racist. Wait a minute. You have a mayor putting up barriers to supposedly protect the bike lanes. You have a president trying to put up barriers at embassies and consulates so that terrorists can't easily come to America. It makes sense. It's what the 9-11 Commission said we needed to do. In fact, I provided testimony to the commission. And suddenly everyone is insulting the president. Let's pile on. What do you mean keep people out of America? How dare you? Let's just put up concrete barriers. And the craziness that we're confronted with, it makes no rational sense. And I'll tell you a story. A number of years ago, Sheila Jackson Lee, by the way, reached out to me six months after 9-11, when to everyone's horror, it was discovered that two of the dead terrorists, including the ringleader, Mohammed Atta, and the other guy was Marwan al-Shehi, hijacker. Six months to the day after 9-11, the inept and incompetent immigration service provided, provided authorization for those two pieces of garbage to attend school. They got authorization to attend school flight school of all things and this is six months after 9-11 so by then the whole world knew two things about them a they were terrorists and b they were dead so sheila jackson lee asked me her counsel called me up and said could you come to washington and i did and if you go to michaelcutler.net you can see it or you can go to uh, youtube it's part of the c-span permanent library uh, i guess it's part of history now and it was a hell of a hearing we had news crews from all over the world. It was amazing. And in addition to testifying at that hearing, we had Ziegler, the commissioner, Rudy Decker, the owner of the flight school in Florida, who reported that he got notified that these people were authorized to attend flight school. And this guy that runs the flight school, he's a citizen of Germany, by the way, looks at this and says, what the hell are they doing? These guys are dead. They're terrorists. What do you mean they can come and t- attend my flight school? And that's what led to the hearing. And then they got the guy in from the company, the computer company, because the government used to send those notices out. But if you do that, then you don't have an opportunity to provide some computer company. Probably they gave someone campaign contributions. God knows. I don't know in this case. But I'm always cynical, and you got to wonder. So an executive from the computer company came and testified. And, and I was listening to Ziegler thanking the owner or the manager from the computer company for working so closely with the INS that we were able to go to the company to monitor the work they were doing. And I'm thinking, what is the commissioner talking about? The government hired them, and you're the commissioner of immigration thanking them for, for having a transparent operation for the immigration agency? Why was this given to a company at all? This idea that we're going to privatize government to make it better is a farce. It's a fairy tale. But this is the way government works. You give contracts to people, and everyone sings kumbaya, and they screwed up royally. About a year or two later, there was going to be a hearing on alien smuggling. And in those days, I spoke to Sheila Jackson Lee's counsel. She was the ranking Democrat on the House Immigration Subcommittee. 
And I said, if you're going to do a hearing about alien smuggling, you need to consider visa fraud. Because everyone, again, big distraction. It's like the Calais deception during the Second World War, Operation uh, Fortitude, you know, convinced the Germans that, that, you know, we're coming through Calais, not through uh, Normandy, so they would have to split their resources because otherwise we couldn't have succeeded on D-Day. So think about that. So Sheila Jackson Lee wanted to just talk about the Mexican border. And I said, we're talking about alien smuggling, visa fraud is also a component of alien smuggling. And I was part of the first anti-smuggling unit in New York. One of my advantages is that I rotated through every single squad within the investigations branch. I know these issues intimately. I worked on them for many years. So I have an insider's view. And I said, you need to consider visa fraud. And there was a big argument back and forth. And her counsel said to me, write a memo to the congresswoman and explain why you think we need to include visa fraud in smuggling. And I said very simply this, that when we put fences on our property, you don't put the fence next to the property. You put it as far out as you can do it so that you protect the building. You want to have the fence at the furthest extremity of, of, your, of your land, not against the building, but as far out as you can do it. I said, when we require visas of aliens, if we administer the visa requirement effectively, in a manner of speaking, we push America's borders out to the embassies and consulates where the visas are issued. This could also help to keep terrorists and bad guys off of airliners. If they are required to have a visa and can't get a visa, they're not allowed to get on an airplane. You know, I always think about Richard Reed, the shoe bomber, that disheveled piece of trash, what he looked like. I can't imagine. I can't imagine that they would have given him a visa. But he didn't need a visa as a Brit, you see. And that's why I worry about where we are now, because we have first-generation British subjects or people who've naturalized, but who trace their, their lineage directly back to the Middle East and whose parents might still be filled with hatred for the West and so forth. So we've got to be careful who we're letting into the country. This is common sense. As the 9-11 Commission pointed out, it might, you know, maybe common sense, but in order to attack us, they first have to get here. And that's why they declared that border security was national security. You would think common sense, but common sense perhaps not so common, especially in Washington. So that was my argument. I said, you, you wind up pushing America's borders out to the embassies and consulates where the visas are issued. And they changed the focus of the hearing, believe it or not. And the issue became visa fraud. And part of the title, I don't have it in front of me, but it used that wording, pushing America's borders out or pushing out the borders, something to that effect. So it makes perfectly good sense. So you want to be careful who you're giving visas to. So along comes President Trump and says, well, we shouldn't be giving visas to people if we can't vet them. And the court goes crazy. And they start talking about familial relationships and, and petitions filed by, 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 by fiancés. Well, how well did that work out at San Bernardino? How well did that work out? Well, if they have bona fide relationships, and then this, this, this judge in Hawaii included not just brothers and sisters, but cousins and brothers-in-law and sisters-in-law, 48 times removed. I saw the guy in the street five years ago. I waved at him. We have a relationship. It included people going to school. Think about that flight school, folks. People who have jobs in the United States. Well, the, the piece of trash 
uh, was an Uber driver, the guy that mowed down the bike riders. I guess that's a job. If he had a contract to work for an outfit like Uber, that's great. We want you to come here. So basically, the Supreme Court knocked down a section of law that had been used previously by President Obama, by President Carter, by President George W. Bush. But the difference is that President Trump is President Trump, and he's not a globalist. He's a populist. He believes in sovereignty. Whoa, we can't have any of that. How can you have a president who stands up for Americans and said, let's make sure that we not only bring jobs home, but we get those jobs done by American hands. He's actually said that. And you have people screaming and protesting. Now, I don't agree with everything that Trump says. I certainly don't always agree with the language that he uses. My degree was in communications, arts, and sciences. And I'm going to be honest, President Trump on occasion makes me cringe. But I will also tell you that I can't remember the last president that we've had that stands for what Trump stands for. And immigration is the critical issue. If you can't keep terrorists out of your country, look out. And if you can't enforce the immigration laws effectively, then you destroy opportunities for American workers. You see, the whole point to this visa, and this is the visa that everyone's going to focus on for the next couple of months, and I think it needs to end. It's crazy. It's foolish. We don't need it. But the point is the next terror attack may involve a guy on a student visa. And we've seen students go off the deep end. In fact, Faisal Shahzad came on a student visa, right? And then you'll see someone who came on a, on a tourist visa, and everyone's going to go crazy. And then somebody's going to come on a J-1 exchange visitor, and, and they're going to look at that visa. It's not so much that it's a diversity visa. I mean, the whole point of the diversity visa shows how corrupt our government is. But it's the fact that these were visas and that people were allowed to come in and they thanked us by killing us. That's the crazy part. And, and so let's, let's be very clear about something. You can't do 100% vetting on anybody. If you take someone who's 20 years old, he or she has no established track record. You know, if you've seen the movie Minority Report, it's pre-crime. <laughs> it doesn't work in the real world. And I know when I was an immigration inspector, that's what we were dealing with. For those four years when I sat at that booth at Kennedy Airport, you're asking people, what's your purpose for coming? And the guy says, well, I'm coming for a two-week vacation. And right now, nearly 40% or about 40% or maybe 50%, nobody knows what the numbers are. People who tell you they have the numbers run for your life. They're fully you-know-who. But the point is there are millions upon millions of illegal aliens in the United States who did not run the Mexican border. They came through international airports, violated the terms of their admission and either worked illegally or failed to attend to school or took a job they weren't supposed to take or became convicted of felonies in the United States, and they're here illegally. So uh, understand that the best solution that we have is to have immigration agents out there in these immigrant communities with their sources of information, with their informants. And in fact, when I was an agent back in the 70s and 80s, and 90s, very often law enforcement people from other agencies, the police department, state police, city police, um, the sheriff's office, the FBI, DEA, ATF would come to us and ask, do you have any informants in this particular community? Because we know something is going on. We're trying to figure out who this guy is. We have a photograph. Is there anyone that you know that could look at the photo and maybe identify him? 
And back then we had plenty of informants. And back then, before they created DHS, an agency that was so screwed up, I came to call it the Department of Homeland Surrender under George W. It's both parties that have done this to us. No wonder Jeb Bush said that illegal immigration was uh, an act of love, and I wrote uh, that Jeb was looking for love in all the wrong places. But back then, we were one agency. And so we were instructed that if you went out to do an investigation and you knocked on a door and some guy answered the door and it wasn't the guy you were looking for, maybe the guy moved. Bad guys move frequently, so it's hard to find them. Or maybe you were doing a marriage investigation, so you're asking the neighbors, do you know if these people are living together? Well, very often when you knocked on that door, it was usually an immigrant community, and the person would say to you, you know, Agent Cutler, uh, I'm happy to give you the information you're looking for, but maybe you can help me. And I would say to the guy, how can I help you? I lost my green card. I'm supposed to travel next month. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do because I can't get back into the United States without my alien card. Uh, Is there any way you can help me? And I would check the guy in the computer to make sure he was who he claimed he was and so forth. And I would get him his paperwork. And we would help to expedite his application for the visa. You know what that guy became? My friend for life. Anytime anything happened in that community, in that neighborhood, he'd be the first guy to grab a phone and call me up and say, Mr. Cutler, I I just heard something last night and I'm really upset. And, And this isn't about the Latino community or this community or that. Human nature is human nature. Let's be very clear about this. I've arrested people from Europe, from Asia, from India, from the Caribbean. You name it, I've arrested them. Africa, because people are people. And I don't care what your skin color is. I don't care whether you pray or how you pray. People are people. And we're all the same, good, bad, and ugly in every group. But you would have people that because we helped them felt indebted to us and they would cooperate with us. Didn't cost us a plug nickel, and they were very good sources of information and intelligence. And now you have sanctuary cities telling the people out there, don't you dare talk to immigration because they're going to come and get you. So decent Immigrants, people here legally with green cards, attending school legally, are scared to death about immigration. Why? Because you have Los Angeles saying, we have to protect the immigrants from immigration. They have created imagery where they associate the INS with stormtroopers. As a former agent and as a guy who's Jewish and whose family was decimated in the Holocaust, I I don't even have words to tell you how I get insane over these issues because I've listened to this garbage when I've done debates. It's it's disgusting. It's infuriating. And what it's caused is the assaults on immigration agents have more than doubled in the last year or two. They've heated this thing up where the immigration agents are seen as the bad guys. And believe me, we're not. We're not. My position isn't anti-immigrant. It's pro-enforcement. And the people most at risk generally from criminal aliens from other countries are the members of the ethnic immigrant community where they live. And it's not just from Mexico or Colombia or El Salvador. It's from Russia. It's from Europe. It's from Asia. It's from the Caribbean. Again, human nature is human nature. So they have vilified immigration agents, made it very difficult for our people to do an effective job. So we don't even know who's here. If you read the 9-11 Commission staff report, they're crystal clear on this. They're crystal clear on it that um, aliens who are here illegally or who game the system as part of the embedding process pose a threat to national security and public safety. 
So please understand, they're going to be talking a lot, and I'm going to write about it, as I plan to. And I will tell you that I compare the lottery with, with Russian roulette. If we want to talk about games of chance, crazy stuff we're doing to it. These are self-inflicted wounds, folks. But I, I mentioned in, in my um, uh, documents up here, whatever you want to call it, my, my description for my radio show, I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine. And by the way, if you see articles that I write, please post them on Facebook or other social media. Please pass an email along to your friends. I call this my bucket brigade of truth. But so we have a case, and this is really, really important, by the way. By the way, don't forget to go to the social contract and read about the language wars, the road to tyranny is paved with language censorship. I I promise you, you're going to uh, find it thought-provoking. Let's stop talking about political correctness and start talking about Orwellian newspeak. Control the words. You can control the thoughts. It's a dangerous path that we've gone down with language control. And and that's what I focused on. I I think um, that it's an interesting article. I mean, I know my mom said self-praise is no recommendation, but I really do hope you like the article and that it provokes thought. It provokes thought. You know, um, Voltaire said you judge a man's intelligence by his questions. JFK used to say the same thing. We need to learn how to ask the questions, and the questions have to be grounded in facts. So please read that article. But I wrote a piece that appeared October 30th, ironically, the day before the terror attack in New York. And the title of my article was A Bad Deal for the U.S. Generous Plea Bargain for Serious Human Trafficker Bodes Poorly for National Security. And we come to find out that there was a Pakistani alien smuggler. And we extradited him back to the United States because for two years and two months, this guy brought in at least 80 to 100 aliens from countries that sponsored terrorism, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and so forth. And it turns out that one of the aliens he smuggled in is from Afghanistan and admitted uh, that he had relatives in the Taliban or that he had come to America to either carry out an attack in the United States or Canada. And they, they, they bring back the smuggler. And now what the smuggler did, and this is why it's so important, but you know, if you read the article, I'm just giving you the high points. My article goes into far more detail. And it's worth reading. You need the facts. That's why I write for front page. That's why I write for the social contract, occasionally an article on Newsmax. Um, so, so please check this stuff out. But he went to Latin America before he began smuggling aliens, and he established himself as an immigrant in Brazil. Now, this is critical because you don't hear this on the evening news, but I've documented it in my article for, the, for frontpagemag.com. Brazil has a terror training network in the tri-border region of Brazil, where Brazil abuts with Argentina and Paraguay. And it's run, it has been run for decades traditionally by Hamas and Hezbollah. Those are clients of Iran. And I'm certain that in this day and age, ISIS and, uh, and Al-Qaeda also there. And we also know, by the way, that in Venezuela, we have Iranian shock troops flying directly from, Caracas, from Tehran, Iran, right into Caracas, Venezuela. So Latin America is a hotbed for terrorism, which is why that damn wall needs to be built. It's not just the drugs. So this guy establishes safe houses in Brazil and scatters more around Latin America. Now, did he bring these people through the the tri-border region for terror training? I have no idea. But the fact is that at least one of those aliens is affiliated with terrorism. They all come from terror-sponsoring countries. This is a very sophisticated plan. 
So he brings them through Brazil and then smuggles them up through Central America into the United States across the Mexican border, at least 80 to 100. That's what we know of. We know that he got probably over a million dollars. And by the way, it's sentencing. He asked the judge if he couldn't still apply for political asylum, claiming he was a poor person, made over a million dollars, involved with smuggling aliens from terror countries, and the judge just you know, rebuffed the whole thing and said, no, that's not going to happen. But imagine the chutzpah and the sophistication, because he had coached the aliens he smuggled to immediately, if encountered by Border Patrol, to yell political asylum. Okay? So he smuggled in 80 aliens, made over a million dollars. This went on for two years and two months, and he ran an entire alien smuggling operation. So when he pleaded guilty, guess how they permitted him to plead guilty? How many counts of alien smuggling do you think he had to plead guilty to? Well, the answer is just one. He was sentenced to 31 months in jail. 31 months in jail. Why did we bother extraditing him to the United States? 31 months in jail. Yes, he's permanently barred from entering the United States, but do you think that that stops a smuggler until and unless we finally get that damn wall built? And there will be other ways of coming here, make no mistake. And that's why interior enforcement of the immigration laws are critical. And President Trump is the first president since I have been involved in the immigration issue who has been adamant about interior enforcement. And I've had meetings with Senator Sessions, and he told me that I convinced them and I convinced other people in Washington that the key to immigration enforcement was interior enforcement. And we finally have a president and an attorney general trying to do that. And that's why everyone's going crazy. And that's why everyone's going crazy. Everyone says, let's have mandatory E-Verify. Well, that's good. But unless you hire the agents to make certain that people don't hire people off the books, it won't matter. Most of the legislation that gets passed in Washington is designed to look good but not achieve a damn thing. Maintain the status quo. The immigration system, folks, is not broken. Now, you're going to think I'm crazy for saying it. How could it not be broken? And the answer is very simple. Because it's doing exactly what the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the American Immigration Lawyers Association and a laundry list of other open border organizations want. A limitless supply of foreign nationals coming into the United States, literally by hook or by crook. So you give this guy 31 months in jail and send him back to Pakistan, and he'll continue to run his network from outside the United States. You've got him dead to right. This guy should have been forced to plead guilty to, let's say, half of the number of aliens that he smuggled. We'll charge you with 40 aliens, not with 80. What a deal. And by the way, you're going to serve your sentence consecutively. So that way, you're in jail for the next 30 years. Now, why is that important? Because now he's out of action. Why wasn't that done? He wasn't smuggling dishwater. He was smuggling aliens from countries that have a clear nexus to terrorism and purportedly one of those he smuggled admitted to a relationship with, with the Taliban. Who benefited by this dumbass plea bargain arrangement? This is not in America's best interests. You know, everyone says, prosecute him, prosecute him. So he prosecuted him. And in 31 months, when he's 35 years old, he'll be back out there doing his thing, endangering America's national security. I am tired of the nonsense. I could give you more cases that parallel this kind of a plea bargain. 
As long as prosecutors are only concerned with getting their little check mark in the column that says conviction without thinking long-term what the implications are, we are spinning our wheels. This guy should not be out there for 30 years, not 30 months. That's the issue that's being overlooked by all too many people. And that's why I do this program, so that you get to see an insider's perspective on what is happening, what is not happening, what is doable, and what's not doable. I don't have all the answers, but I've been in school every, time, every day. I went on duty for those 30 years that I was an agent, and I've learned a little bit along the way. But all I'm trying to do is to pass along to you my 30 years of experience with the old Immigration and Naturalization Service and with the entire system in terms of what, what could be effective. And we need to make it effective. We are at war. It took America just 44 months to win the Second World War. We suffered deadly terror attacks in 1993, 9-11. We're now uh, more than 16 years since that happened. And the war on terror grinds on. And the body count continues to climb. And simply stated, this is not acceptable. We should thank our lucky stars that President Trump gets it. But he needs the support of every American. And this isn't about left or right. It's about right or wrong. I want to thank you for joining me this evening. It's always good to catch up with you. I hope you will read my articles at frontpagemag.com and the social contract. Check out uh, the videos and so forth. But my favorite website, obviously, is michaelcutler.net because that's mine. Anyway, I uh, hope you have a good weekend and uh, hope you stay safe. But please, folks, pass the information to as many people as you can. Be part of my bucket brigade of truth, and you must get involved. The politicians must come to understand that we're not as dumb as they hope we are. And we do that by remembering that democracy is not a spectator sport. See you next week. Good night.